Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear, performance hunting apparel, layering systems. Um, you hear us each and every week talking about Scree, and Christmas is right around the corner, so if you've got your eye on it, I hope you're putting Scree on your Christmas list. And hey, you know, the layering system style of of uh, hunting apparel and performance gear that Scree fits into probably works really well right now when it's 80 degrees in December throughout most of most of uh most of Louisiana because you can layer down and be really lightweight and uh so many of the pieces that we talk about the last few times I've hunted I don't even get to wear them because it's so hot but that's one of the great things is you can go and really have one set of gear layer in and out different ways and really cover pretty much the whole entire spectrum of the crazy weather we get here in Louisiana so uh if you don't have scree Put it on your Christmas list. Ask somebody to go to ScreeGear.com. Check it out. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You can find lots of content to find out more about the gear and shop online at ScreeGear.com. So it's uh, it's now December. We're moving past the Thanksgiving holidays. We are firmly right ass in the middle of rifle season. And uh, it's 80 degrees. Levi and Colin, what's up? What's going on, man? Howdy. Got your uh, Uinta pants? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I am wearing my Uinta pants. The, I, I, I went and I, um, today 
I went and rode on my e-bike because I didn't want to ride around. I, mean, I, just, I, I don't know. I guess in my mind, I thought I was being stealthy. I guess I was being stealthy. More ninja-like. More ninja-like. So I went and rode around and moved some cameras and checked some stuff. And I was wearing, like, the lightest T-shirt I could find and, like, the you went to, <clears throat> you went to lightweight pants. And I was, I mean, I literally felt like the week before opening week of postseason. <laughs> it was so, not just hot, it was like mosquitoes and humidity and it's just miserable. But with that being said, like, this really is going to go against people that have listened to this podcast for, for the last five years and listened to all of my opinions and, and everything. It, this right now, what I'm experiencing right now in my home area is is the outlier. It is it is not what typically happens to me and typically I am out of the woods and not but I have had more activity and rut activity over the last week um than I've seen and it's not really that out of character for this this area. I mean sometimes it's a week or two earlier or a week or two later so we're right in that window but even with the weather I had Bucks on camera on five different cameras last night. I had a buck following a doe in the daylight at 8 o'clock this morning after I slept in because it was 80 degrees. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, I guess it, I, 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 I'm such a weather-dependent hunter in the way that I strategize and hunt that typically I'm completely turned off, and I still am turned off from that aspect like I I know I need to be hunting because the deer are on their feet, but it's just so hard to make myself go, you know, just so hard to to deal with this weather. I don't, and I don't feel like I'm going to be able to get away with hardly anything, like from a scent perspective, you know, it's just yeah. the south wind, the heavy. Well, your place is kind of, kind of sucks for south. Oh, everything sucks for south. I mean, it's just really hard, really, really hard to hunt south wind, and, um, <clears throat> we've talked like a couple of times um recently on the podcast about this deer that I've been taking pictures of and talked about you know how to hunt him well um I've seen him twice now from the stand in the last last this past week one time he was following a doe the other time he was all out chasing her like I only saw him for a second because he was hauling ass through the creek bottom, chasing her, dogging her. And um, it really, nothing has changed in two years. He's he's in the same spot. Now, I did get one picture of him, like, way away. I, I did it on Onyx. I was sitting in the stand the other day, and I thought, I wonder how far this is. And so I did the little map line thing, and it was like, oh, hell, I can't remember. It's half a mile or so away. I had a picture of him at two o'clock in the morning, a half a mile away, basically on the other side of the property, or mostly the other side of the property. But the next day, he was right back there, and he's been there for the last three days. And I had a picture of him at six fifteen this afternoon. So I don't know. I want to tell y'all I'm going to kill him, but I, I just he's there. I've got a plan. I'm on him. If I could, if I had cold weather, I'd tell you I was going to kill him this week. You not waiting to execute. Not even it is. It's a wait to execute thing. But like, I really do feel like 
I don't even need cold weather. If I just had a 55-degree morning, I think I could kill him. With a little it's east wind. It's the rut, It's yeah. the rut. Yeah, but you dude, gotta you got to be in the tree. Yeah, you can't kill him from the couch, Levi. Yeah, you know where you can't kill him from, right? <laughs> in the couch, exactly. But I'm going to tell you right. Yes. I'm hunting. Well, he, he might almost could. I could almost kill him. If in his backyard, he could. I mean, if he wanders too far, I might could kill him from the couch <laughs> out of the back window. But the the thing is... What I'm saying is, I don't know if y'all have experienced this. And by the way, our guest is uh, Jeff Kane. Jeff, what's up? How y'all doing today? Y'all might recognize Jeff's name. He's pretty active <clears throat> on the uh, on our community page and uh, just Louisiana bow hunter stuff all over Facebook and whatnot. So Jeff's going to join us to, for this uh, grandeur bullshit session <laughs> for the night. Um, <laughs> but maybe so. This Talking is my strategy. Mm-hmm. So this is my this is my hang up on this deer. Where I'm hunting, dude, it is so tight that, and it's low, kind of swampy in between two thickets, and I don't, I mean, I've got plenty of shots in there, but I can't, like, access to it is difficult without thinking I'm going to walk past something, and when I get in there, man, it's just like the, the, the scent just doesn't get out of there. It just stays in there if I don't have you know, some high pressure, you know, that kind of stuff. And especially with it, it's like now it's just so, it's, it's not really much wind at all. It's just hardly, it's just sitting there. And I'm just afraid that I I know where he's at and I kind of know what he's doing. And I think, but I'm just not sure that I can get a shot on him without him smelling me from pretty much any direction. And I don't. You're pretty much saying you got to put your big boy pants on. Just go scare the shit out of him, right? Yeah, at this point, it, it may be uh, time to just kind of work on the, or or try some new things, you know, things that maybe you weren't so um, prone to do in the past. Like maybe you think you're going to go in there and spook that buck, but maybe you go in there and you actually end up killing him. You know what I mean? Well, um, so... You can't be scared of that failure. You know, what if you do spook him? You think he's going to run to the neighbors? I doubt it. You know, uh-huh. like that's that's how I spent most of my time, um, you know, hunting deer in the past. I, I never ran cameras before. I started to this season pretty heavily, but always just hunted off of the sign. I'd go into a piece of public, find the sign, and really the best sign that I like is a fresh pair of tracks. You know what I mean? I don't care about uh, scrapes and rubs and all that if I can just find a fresh pair of tracks, right? And so, yeah, I don't know. You know, just you use the time, you use this time. You know, when you're struggling uh, to just maybe try something new and see see if you can experience like a something different. And um, you know, it might be a good learning opportunity for you. I'm trying to figure out what that is, though. So, well, let me ask you this. Let me a bump and dump. <laughs> I mean, Just go chase his ass down with a Bowie knife. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this deer is like moving east and west on the transition lot. Um, he's moving. Or is he coming from the north from the hardwoods? Neither. He's coming from the the northeast thicket? corner. That big ass pine thicket in the northeast corner. Okay. Well, I was just asking, like, with a south, if you made it in and you didn't spook him and he's, like, on your left or right, 
a south would would a south still work? It's yeah. just blowing in the hardwoods, and he's coming, you know, from east and west. Yeah, so he's coming. What he's doing is he's coming from the northeast, and what he what he was doing was he was going angling kind of northwest out of that some hardwoods that way and coming back towards the southeast. Now he's going from the northeast and he's kind of moving from the northeast down that the corner of that thicket into that creek bottom and up towards a food plot. And I don't really know what he's doing. I mean, it's a huge pine. The plantation's like seven-year-old plantation pines, and I'm sure he's going out in there, but there's a couple food plots. The one I'm getting his picture on, he's – I've actually got the access down in the south. Um, the south wind's actually okay. The problem is I need a steady south wind because I'm it's I'm right on that creek, or it's really a ditch, but – it's it's so low down. It just I don't know. I, I, it seems that every deer that comes through there starts to get spooky, no matter what the wind's doing, unless it's unless it's really strong in one direction. And I think it just kind of the thermals are. Yeah, I don't it's know. thermals. It's cool down in there, so it's just kind of drawing it down to the bottom. I think that's what it's doing. Because what he's doing is he's coming out of that thicket, and I'm sitting on this ditch, and it winds through there. It's kind of you know snakes through there. And he's coming out of the thicket, and he's working up that drainage going north to south. He comes from the northeast, and he hits the drainage, and he goes from north to south. And then I think he comes out and checks those food plots and goes up through the pines, I think is what he's doing. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I, but that's that's what I know. I know he does that sometimes. I don't know what else he's doing. And then I saw another shooter the other day that just – I have no idea what he was doing. He just – I heard something coming in front of me, running, and he just come. I mean, I, I don't know if something over there spooked him. I don't know how to explain uh, this. Right. What in the world was that? He just come running. Like I heard a deer running, you know, and I'm, I knew it was deer. I'd been listening to a buck chase a doe in the thicket behind me, and it may have been this deer because he was chasing the doe earlier in the morning. And this deer comes running out of the thicket, busts through the thicket, you know, hits the water in the ditch, and he just hauls ass past me, just running wide open. No doe in front of him or anything. Just here he comes by me, gone. I could hear him running as far as I could hear. I don't know what he was doing. So, I don't know. Well, one thing that I'm not good at is, uh, you know, patterning bucks or a specific buck. It's not something that I've. I've really got to do in the past. I'm interested in it, um, but yeah, that's that's a whole nother ball game, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Whether it's your hunting truck, the side by side you're pulling behind your truck, your home, life, business, or farm, Jake Slocum has you covered. Call or text Jake Slocum at American National Insurance at three one eight two five five zero zero nine six today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. With the rising cost of goods and record high inflation, wouldn't it be great to save money on your auto insurance? With most companies in Louisiana increasing their rates on auto insurance, American National took a rate decrease. We look out for the best interests of our clients and look forward to earning your trust as well as your business. Call or text Jake Slocum at American National Insurance at 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. That's not necessarily my preferred way to hunt. 
but over the last couple of years, the properties that I've had the most access to hunt the most, they don't have, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm typically, I don't feel like other than just pure luck and one of the neighbor's deer just happened to be walking by. I mean, I don't have that many big mature deer, so when I find one, I kind of have to stay on them because I don't feel like, it's not like I've got 10 shooters on this property and I'm kind of hunting for any of them. I'm usually, you know, I'm usually kind of limited to the number of deer that I think are on the property that are, or, you know, frequently Mm -hmm. on the property that I want to hunt. So it it just kind of, but I will say, I, I, I never hunted that way, Jeff, until, um, or I never really made it a, uh kind of a a habit of hunting that way until you know more recently several years where i've I've hunted places like i said that didn't have a a high number of of older age class deer and it's it is i don't know i mean it it, i like it It, it's it's kind of a whole new challenge to just set your focus on one thing you know and like you said um i do end up trying different things at some point um and so just it's 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 a whole different kind of game or puzzle that you're putting together as opposed to just hunting the general deer herd and the general deer activity you know so i don't know yeah because that's kind of that's kind of what i do i mean it's like i pattern uh i guess uh bucks behavior within an area or a certain zone and you know it's it usually starts off you know feed in the early season and then it gets on into uh you know, I really start kind of hunting the does. I, I watch where certain doe, doe herds go, and uh, whenever the rut rolls around, I try to, I try to kind of key in on those places and uh, the pinch points and the funnels, you know, around around those bedding areas that those does really like. I tell um, I tell you something that I've been doing, um, and I, it's been kind of cool to watch it, to watch it happen. It's taken this long. I've mentioned this on the podcast in, in previous episodes uh, since the the Hurricane Ida. I guess that was last summer. Yeah, yeah. last summer. Good so number up there. Yeah it it did it did a lot of damage in my area and specifically on my property. There was a tornado that came through, um, spun off, and it did a lot of damage. And I kind of had the I had the idea in my mind that. Over time, with all the big root balls and laydowns in the hardwoods, it was going to create a lot of pinches and funnels in the travel routes and kind of change them. Mm-hmm. And I'm really getting just now getting to where um, I'm starting to see that. I've actually moved some cameras recently, and it's really cool to see how the deer are using. I guess they're kind of being forced. I guess they're not being forced. They could do whatever they want, but you know, they're, for lack of a better way to put it, they're being forced to use these old existing travel routes but kind of manipulated to go around these root balls and it it creates camera traps essentially because you know you look at an area coming out of a thick area into an open hardwood flat for example and there's trees laying kind of different ways and these big root ball systems that come up off of some of them and if you look at it i was looking at one today there's there's let's say a, a kind of a transition line of of thick, thick hardwoods coming out of a, a pine thicket, and there's big open oak flats on either side of it. So, and, th- and that runs north and south. 
And so the deer are moving through there east to west, through those hardwoods. And if and I'm looking at, at one side of it, and there's really only two areas that they can easily come out of that thicket and walk out in that flat without, you know, going through treetops and laydowns. Right. And so I got, you know, it, it's, you, I've, and I've had success. I've put cameras on those two areas, and that's all the deer are funneling through there. So it's, that's been, it's been kind of cool. I, I thought that was going to happen. It's really taken up until this year for, I guess, not only for me to figure it out, but for the deer to just kind of settle into how they're using. And, you know, it's, it was a lot prettier before all those trees laid down, but now <clears throat> it's thicker, and I think... Uh, that undergrowth is going to be nice. Yeah, it's it's creating a better habitat and certainly creating a more predictable travel routes. So that's pretty cool. So that's some of my favorite areas to hunt is, uh, you know, you find these these large uh, pieces of property that have been either it's blown down or the trees have been submerged in water for a certain period of time. They're all fallen, and it creates such an amazing habitat. The under the understory starts to get thick, you know, and uh, just provides a lot of lot of bedding areas. And if it happens to be in an oak flat type area, <clears throat> now you have bedding being developed with uh, with feed, you know, and um, they can just bed up in these areas, and they have an oak tree just drop raining on them, you know, throughout certain yeah. parts of the season. And man, those are some of the best places that I've ever found to hunt. I've noticed. I wonder um, about y'all, but I've noticed more acorns dropping the last week and a half, two weeks. I mean, it's, it's really picked up. Have y'all seen that? Well, so in the areas that I've been hunting, um, my early it, it's actually been a good uh, season for the acorns. Um, we had good early mass, and um, they, they, they're steadily dropping. I've found a couple trees that, have yet to really start to fall some, some nuttles really and down in the swamp. And <clears throat> that's really what the deer like to hone in on. And I've got, um, I've been, I saw a hunger camera and just been waiting for it. And I've been having some deer coming through. It's like they were checking it out the first week and then it started to drop a little and now they're in there pretty heavy. And, um, yeah, so it looks a lot better than it did last year or even the year before. The year last year I didn't I wasn't finding any uh red oaks dropping in any of the areas. Uh but yeah, this year is pretty damn good. So now I kind of know the cycle for uh the areas I've I've been hunting. Yeah. The area in particular I'm talking about, I've only been in there for 3 years, so you know, trying to figure that cycle out, it takes about that that long. So. so there's a lot of there's a lot of conversation on a lot of different podcasts and different things about how to identify you know when you go into an area where there where there where there's not a lack of 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 oaks or feed trees how do you what do you look for to identify which ones are the hottest or yeah, so primary so to speak in in most cases so they're not easy to find but when you find it you you know exactly what you're looking at and, and, um, so for example, uh, one of the spots that I was hunting super early season, I got in there and did a little, uh, scouting, uh, preseason, found some really nice oak flats in like, uh, the head of a, a, a slough 
that had dried up. And so the grass is really tall now, you know, uh, anywhere from, you know, waist high to, to head high grass. It's a canary grass. Um, and, uh, you know, it's real green in the early season and we get, we, we, we scout it out and, uh, get back in there early season after the season opens and hang a camera. Um, because what I'm looking at is an area surrounded by grass. It's got oak trees all throughout, but this one particular spot is beat down. The grass is, you know, six inches tall. Uh, there's dirt in some spots. Um, it was so dry, though, you weren't really seeing a whole lot of deer sign. You weren't seeing a lot of tracks. I, didn't, I wasn't even finding a lot of uh, deer crap underneath the trees, um, you know. And so that was kind of odd to me. I was wondering if it was pigs or armadillos or what was actually doing this. And so I started, you know, spreading out and going check other areas. And uh, that was like the common thing. It was just, it just really beat down under those trees. And I think because it was so dry and I don't really know why, but typically I find a lot of deer shit under these type of trees that they really focusing on. But this season, for some reason, I wasn't finding that. And so it kind of had me a little perplexed. But um, that's just the case. It was just beat down, run down. I didn't necessarily know, um, you, you know, that at, at first when I found it, what was doing it. But, yeah, it was it was certainly the deer, wasn't pigs um, or anything like that. So, you know, I go in. If it's a real leafy area, um, you know, typically the leaves are either beat down. You'll notice whenever you step on it, it, it doesn't have that, that crunch to it. It, they still might be covering the ground, but it, it doesn't have that fluff or, or that mm-hmm. or that crunch when you're walking. Like matted. Walking yeah. through it. You just matted yeah. down. Yeah. You can kind of tell that they're like, they've been like turned over and yeah, pushed and turned right. and pushed yeah. and turned and pushed. Yep, exactly. Uh, but <clears throat> it was, it was more difficult this season to really read it because of how, I think it's just because of how dry it was. You know, whenever the ground's moist, it just... It's easier to see exactly what you're you're dealing with. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it's it's funny to me, and we've we've said for a long time that we were going to have someone on that was, you know, more of an expert on all the different types of of acorns that we have, oak trees that we have, and you know, just kind of deep dive into that a little bit more. But it's always interesting to me that, in my experience, it's not. Like, I may go to to Levi's place, for example, and find a tree, and it's a a red oak or whatever, insert whatever you want here, and they're just really tearing it up. And then I go to my place, and they're preferring another type of acorn. You know, same, similar type of of, um, amount of food on the ground, but they're just preferring, you know, one or the other. And I wonder if that has to do with, the ripeness of the nut or just you know i don't know just for whatever reason the deer in that area you know i I don't know i'm always curious about me because i think across the board everybody's something that's happened to me recently that's a little bit perplexing so i've lived my whole life as a deer hunter looking for that hot white oak tree right white oaks tend to be everybody 
you know, and 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 myself included, tend to see white oaks being the preferred acorn of the white-tailed deer in the south, you know. And I have a white oak tree. It's really the only one. I have plenty of white oak trees, but they're not all dropping this year. And, you know, they're not a tree that drops every year anyway. So I really only have one, which here on a a side note, the white oak trees in my yard, they drop every year. Why is that? (laughs) (laughs) They literally do. Like I, I have a bunch of white oak trees right around my house. And some years it's more than others, but they drop enough. Like if they were out in the woods, they would be legit. That would be the X. Every year, every year. But the white oaks that are out in the woods, they don't drop every year. And I can't figure that out. But anyway, I do have one white oak tree that's dropping, and it just doesn't have deer. I mean, I I put a camera on it a couple weeks ago, and I had a few deer throughout the week passing through there. But, you know, in in, in all of my years of hunting, I've I've just kind of – have always been taught and and whatnot to to look for that that's like the go-to tree and i have this one it's in a perfect spot it would be easy to hunt and they're just not hitting it but i mean they're eating the red oaks and stuff around it but they're not eating it at the way that white that deer typically do and it's just always it's always a real i guess interesting and confusing at the same time to me yeah how they choose you know what yeah that's the thing it's like it's like fruit that we eat we don't eat fruit that doesn't taste good you know you can have two orange trees and they taste completely different and they're 30 feet apart right um you you don't want to eat something that's bitter or something that's sour yeah and uh you know deer have the same thing it's what what's going to be the most palatable to them that's it and like you say with the uh, white oats, you know, they start dropping early season. So we're trying to get in there early, get, get that jump that, that October buck, basically that that's what's going through my mind anyway. And uh, so that's kind of what I, I like to try to focus on, but you know, if, if there's not a lot of oak, if there's not a lot of white oaks on the property and you know, the numbers are limited, then it's about, I guess, how, in you know what is that what's the quality of that fruit to that deer if it's not a good quality um you know acorn to them then they're gonna then they're gonna go to the next best tree which is probably those red oaks you know yeah. and they they really love those red oaks they only get them every two years yeah so um i find that um you know deer they they eat these over cups early season if you can't find white oaks you can find an over cup that's dropping probably they don't really like the overcups of fine. They really rather be eating on these these cow oaks or these noddles. And um, and whenever the the red oaks start dropping, they're all over them. And uh, I find the red oaks that they tend to eat, uh, like, it, it's not like a specific tree when it comes to a red oak. They'll kind of browse through, like, red oaks. But when it comes to, like, a noddle or overcup, or or white oak it's a it's a very specific tree yeah um, you know you have leave oak trees dropping all over the place down in the swamp and it's you know half of them aren't even being touched all the acorns yeah. are going rotten this is intriguing me a lot hey it's brian chamberlain with movement mortgage we're happy to be back for a second year supporting louisiana bowhunter just want to let you know that we're here for all of your mortgage needs whether it's a purchase a refinance 
a renovation loan, or to take equity out of your home. We're also an equal opportunity lender, so whether you shoot a crossbow, a compound bow, a fixed blade, or an expandable, we're here for all of your mortgage needs. You can reach us at 504-228-3780 or at chamberlainteam at movement.com. Movement Mortgage, NMLS number 39179, Brian Chamberlain, NMLS number 114586, licensed in Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, and Florida. Levi, you have a pretty good diversity at your place. Do you? Is there a pattern to what they prefer in your part of the world? Uh, no, at all, Trey. Is there? Yeah. I mean, if you, I'm with Jeff, and I'll actually agree with him too. Another thing he said with like like little pin oaks, which is a red oak too. Mm-hmm. I, I I tend to see exactly what Jeff just said. That you know, you may see a you know a group of pin oaks out there and. You'll see deer browse around several trees that may be in a group that they'll be eating on. But on our place, if you can find a nut all tree that they are hitting, it, it, you better you better bring your tent and your stand and sit up on it. Because do you think it? Do you think it could be? Do you think it could be just a matter of like the pin oaks and red oaks typically drop in a lot higher volume? than some of these other larger acorns? Could it just be that browsing activity just has to do with, you know, when they go to a white oak, they're really focused because it's a big acorn and it's all right there around that one tree typically unless you just are fortunate enough to have, you know, a group of them. But, you know, I, I know in my experience typically, like, you'll find pin oak trees kind of bunched up and it'll just be a gravel, you know, almost gravel with them. They'll be everywhere. And so it's just a matter of there's so much more on the ground that they – you know, their browsing habit is kind of more defined by how much of it is there as opposed to a singular tree that they're focused on. You know, maybe it's that and not necessarily the nut itself. Yeah, yeah. a lot more to choose from, right? You know, yeah. it's like kind of walking into an orchard, you know, everybody, you, you're going to try to taste the fruit off of a few of them. And, um, you know, there's probably you know you probably have multiple trees in an orchard that's producing good fruit versus you know trying to trying to find that one tree that's growing by itself that one white oak that is providing the type of fruit that they want yeah you know that's that's just how i see it or how i think about it in my mind yeah um you know yeah you know we don't we don't have a lot of white oaks on our place we've got some of the Swamp chestnuts, which those are in the white oak family, but as far as like the your typical what I'm calling a white oak, your standard white oak with the almost golf ball size acorns, we don't really have a lot of those. Maybe we've got one that I know of that was actually planted out in that CRP, and then other than swamp chestnuts, I mean, we really don't have a lot of white oaks over there on our property. There's a few, but not many. Just a finicky tree, too. Well, I was told one time, uh, learned or was told or something, that that a white oak could be as much as like every five years that it actually produces a a full crop. Like I said, the ones in my yard don't follow that. And I have no idea. Like that, serious, I mean, it's it's funny, but I'm I'm being, like, it doesn't make sense. Like how, what's different? Every single year. What's different about the trees around my house and the ones in the woods 200 yards behind my house? What's the difference? Brandy's out there in the middle of the night fertilizing. I guess. Just to mess you up. 
I actually, that's a funny story. Well, that's probably what it is. You know, you cut the grass, the, you, yeah. you know, the mulch, the mulching mower. and It may yeah. be. The dog, yeah, the dog pisses. Dog shit. Shit's yeah, out there. Dog <laughs> yeah. yeah, I actually had my kids when they were younger one time. I gave them both a five-gallon bucket, and I was like, get to work. <laughs> and I filled up. I filled up and buckets. Then you bring it out in the woods and you throw it out there, and nothing needs it. No, nothing but hogs. The hogs ate it. Nothing but hogs. Yeah, it's like they know. Ah, that's them residential acres. We're not eating right. those. <laughs> it's like that. The next time, next time you talk to Michael Pepper, I have seen that man with tarps out there in his yard collecting. That. <laughs> yes, that's a pretty good I idea, have. actually. Yeah, it works, dude. Yeah. I got a. I got one of those uh, trampolines with the with the net thing around it, you know, for the kids. <laughs> they ain't jumped on it in three years, but it's right out there under all those trees. I bet you if I got out on that thing, I could fill up a three-gallon bucket full of acorns right now. <laughs> I didn't even thought about that, but I bet you that's a natural catch-all right there. Oh, yeah. Um. All right. So, Colin – Colin, Colin had uh, a tier list we were going to do. We've been doing tier lists this season on the podcast, so Colin have one we're going to do. So I'm going to let him jump into that before we get too further down the road. All right. So this, uh, you have your button ready lock. <laughs> My button. The the sound. Uh, uh, which one you want? This this week's tier list is <laughs> favorite trail cameras. <laughs> that wasn't the right button. <laughs> that wasn't it. There you go. Favorite trail cameras. Okay. Do you know how the tier list works, Jeff? No, I don't. Okay, so instead of doing a top ten, we just do a tier list. So we have three tiers. And so you have tier three, tier two, and tier one. And tier three is like the least favorite, and tier one is the best. So like if, you know, so we just kind of all rank (laughs) things in tiers. So we go around the room and... I know you said you just started running trail cameras, so you you may have to just bullshit your way through this, but <laughs> but that's all right. <laughs> so since you started, this is your baby, Colin. You started. All right. So my tier three is the Walmart twenty five dollar Tasco because I don't really have good luck with. I haven't had good luck with trail cameras, so. I didn't want to spend like $150 anymore so for it to stop working. So I'll go spend $30 and they work. So then they've been working good. So I, don't you have some of those locks? I have like 10 of them. And yeah. they, and they, they, I'll, they're slept on. I'm telling you. I'm telling, I've have 10 of them and the, I have, I have bought 10 and two of them don't work. And one of them, it works. The problem is the battery, I broke a piece of plastic on the battery tray. And the battery tray won't stay, like, it won't stay in there. Like, if you hold your finger on it, the camera actually works. So, at, in, like, it's been four or five years since I started buying them. And in four or five years, I've only had one quit working. Like, you know, actual, the, the function of the camera quit working. They are they are rock yeah. solid. Yep. So, um, yeah. You were actually the one who kind of, when I came up telling you, man. two years ago to your, uh, your dad's place and you were they were littered out there and i'm like you know what let me let me give these things a try dude they're they're super so, legit yep. tasco they got an eight eight megapixel and a 10 meg the 10 megapixels are a whopping 39.99 <laughs> and the eight megapixels 29.99 yeah 
Yep. So that's that's my two or three. Twenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it costs more to put batteries in them throughout the season. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, Levi. Uh, probably I'm gonna go with the just. I ran Bushnells for a long, long time. Not the cellular ones, just the regular ones. Pronounced Bushnell. Bushnells. Bushnell. 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 Okay, Bushnell. Mending redneck. <laughs> Bushnell. Got a bad in Bushnell. You know them Bushnells out there? Yeah. Bushnell. All right, Jeff. But I, I had good I had good luck out of those. They were they're decent. So, uh, I've, I've got one left. So. I'd have to say uh, the wild game innovations because it's really the only other camera I've used. Mm-hmm. But uh, they did. They gave me a headache. Uh, I absolutely. Uh, so the cameras, they work uh, most of the time. But, it, you know, it's just uh, the, the functions, making sure it's turned on. I, I would I just screwed up so much trying to run these wild game innovation cams that uh, it, I just gave it up altogether. I bought two initially like seven years ago and um and I, I tried to run them on and off here. Nothing really consistent. <clears throat> you know, I'd leave. I'd let them soak for two weeks. I go get my my card out, and there was nothing. Pictures on. There's <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Camera on. What was going on? Just yeah. Some bullshit. It was always some bullshit. I have never used. That's one. how I feel about them. I've never used one. Never. Yeah. I, I, I was over it. That that's why I just uh yeah. Hey guys, hunting season is finally upon us. We're starting to feel some of that fall weather. And if you've had some success or you're expecting to and you're looking for taxidermy work, contact our friend Brian Anders at the Taxidermy Shop, located at 2582 Highway 48, Liberty, Mississippi, conveniently located right in between Centerville, Liberty, and Gloucester. Whether you're chasing deer and ducks in the fall, big gobblers in the spring, or you land that trophy fish, give Brian Anders a call at the Taxidermy Shop at 601-248-6945. The Taxidermy Shop is family-owned and operated, not too big, not too small, offering quality work in a timely manner. Call Brian Anders at the Taxidermy Shop, 601-248-6945, or check them out on Instagram at the Taxidermy Shop. So I'm going to... using cans for a long time. So I'm going to go on my Tier 3, and it's... I mean, it is Tier 3, but it's mostly because... I'm putting it tier three because I haven't used it in a long time. Is the uh, Primos Truth Cams, and they were pretty solid. Honestly, I haven't bought one in a long time, but in the past I've had three or four of them, and had a couple of them get stolen by oil field workers. And that's always nice. Yeah, in my experience, they were easy to use, like the control part of them, user friendly, so to speak. Um, and they were always really solid. So I'm going to put them at Tier 3 because I know they're a pretty good camera, but I, but I put an asterisk by it that I haven't had one in so long that I don't know what any of the newer models, if they're even still making them. Um, I know they made several models after the ones that I had, and I don't know how those were, but the ones I had way back when, um, probably 10-plus years ago, were were pretty solid. So um, moving to Tier 2, Colin. Um, I think I'm going to go with the Tacticam and I honestly don't have any complaints. It's the first and only 
cell cam, not the, yeah, the first and only cell cam that I have that I've run for over a year without it just randomly stop working. So okay. it's, it's been good to me so far. All right. Levi. Text cam. I've, this is the first year I've ran them and knock on wood. I hadn't had any problems out of them. I, I love them. They're, they have been flawless. I only got three of them, but I will probably end up buying more next year. Yep. Hmm. Jeff. All right, so I'd have to say the uh, Spy Point. Um, mm. I had the I bought last year two Spy Point uh, micro LTEs, and uh, goodness gracious, <laughs> what a! <laughs> you know, I was climbing trees to hang, uh, you know, optional antennas and shit twenty foot up in the air to get these damn things to work. And it's like whenever you go, you decide to to move the camera. It's it's a lot of work. So. Yeah. Uh, those things suck. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll say, look, if you can find a great place to put them where they where, where where they'll send you pictures to your phone in a food plot, you hang them, you leave them, and that's it. Change uh, the batteries. And, and I've heard um, you pretty much have to hang those on the actual cell tower itself. Yeah, right. that's right. So I have a complete different experience here. Okay, so I have. Now, from a quality perspective, I've had bad luck with, with SpyPoint. But from a working perspective, when they do work, I've had good luck. And I've have, if you'll remember, Colin, in Kansas, I had a cell camera in a spot, and it took pictures for a week, and it quit sending pictures. And I took a SpyPoint and replaced it a month later, and it worked flawlessly in that same, on the same tree. And I have two of the little micro micro cell cams right now, and they worked all from um, – they worked in Kansas August through October, and now I've brought them home, and they're working in Louisiana. And, I've, and it follows the suit that I, that I first said. I also had a whole bunch, probably – I say a whole bunch being four or five – of the, uh, I can't remember what they called them, Force 10s. It's like just the basic 10 megapixel basic camera, not cell camera. Spy points. And those cameras worked really good, except they weren't, they didn't last, they, the, the quality sucked. Like, you put them out, and I mean, they cost like 69 bucks, 70 bucks. You put them out, they work good for a season, and then you get them out the next year, and they just don't come on ever again. They just don't work again. They just stop working for no reason. And yep. so when they did work, they, they, they seem to be really good, like trigger speed, you know, and, and not missing pictures and, and all that stuff seemed to be good. But the, um, you know, my problem was they all ended up breaking after a year, a year and a half for some reason. So I have, but, I, but yeah. I'll say I've got two of the newer model micro cell cams and they're one of them I got last year and one of them I got this year. They're both working well. Um, I'm going to go tier two and I'm going to go with the the Moultrie mobile series of cameras. I'm using a bunch of those now. I've got six of them right now. My dad's got a couple as well. And I don't really have anything negative to say about them. The the thing, one thing about them that's perplexing to me is I've got three different model cameras and they're all exactly the same. 
like they keep putting out these new like one of them's called a delta one of them's called a uh exo and one mm-hmm. of them's called a base but they're the same camera like they have a slightly different color plastic like three different shades of dark brown but other than that on the new base camera they changed the on off switch to just a toggle switch instead of a button you have to hold down which is nice Yes. You know, just a toggle switch instead of hold the button down till the lights flash or hold it down till they flash off. Um, but other than that, they're the, they're all exactly the same. And I've had four of them for so two. The two Delta cams are two years old. the The two Exo cams are a year old, and I got the two base cams this year, and they're all working perfectly and the Moultrie mobile app and everything works really well i've been very satisfied with them so i'm putting them as as tier two i probably could put them as tier one but i got another idea for that so but that i you know i haven't tried tacticam and the only reason i didn't was because i couldn't find them they were out of stock everywhere when i went to buy some and i ended up going Moultrie, just kind of mm-hmm. going out with that so those have been good all right tier I one the solution Tier one, Colin, go. Tier one for me is the Cuddy Back Cuddy Link system. Um, I've run it for two years now, and I absolutely love it. Just being able to like link cameras all throughout the woods, and then I don't even have like you can set the uh, Cuddy Link system up to where they all come back to like one like your home camera is a cell cam and it sends you, I don't have that. Um, so mine, I'll just send it to one camera. And then when I go to my place, I just pull one card, all the cameras, you can link up to like 16 cameras and it's super easy to set up and it's just worked really, really good for me. You can space them out and kind of catch a, a big range of, you really kind of like hone in on like one area, just put like a, you know, six or seven out and, so that's my tier one. I've never tried it, but it is an interesting technology. Yep. All right, Levi. Tier one. Reconics. We've everybody else, everybody cringes when they see how much they cost. <laughs> I gotta pay for my house first before I can it's buy those. My, uh, is that why is that why they actually work? <laughs> dude, my dad bought the first one that we ever had probably 12 years ago probably and we normally used to buy just like maybe one a year and we have like 14 reconnaissance cameras and have never i repeat never had a problem out of one of them cell cams no oh i don't i don't have any reconnaissance cell cameras i can't speak for that but just the standard hyper fire yeah i think they had the 550 the 550 and the 650 hyperfires, they are absolutely bulletproof. And I've heard take, good things about them. They take like 40,000 pictures on one set of batteries. So you put a set of batteries in them at the beginning of the year in late summer, and you don't have to put batteries in them again. So That's good. Yeah. All right, Jeff, tier one. So tier one, I'd have to say spy point, um, you know, disclaimer i haven't i haven't used them for an entire season yet but um you know i've i've really i really like the way that they um wait didn't you say tier t- tier two was spy point no yeah all right tax cam sorry <laughs> misspoke 
Yeah. Okay. Tacticams. <laughs> so the tacticams I found, uh, you know, work really well in the remote locations. Um, I haven't found a, a place yet that they didn't uh, pick up a signal and send to my phone. So I really like that, you know. Uh, but yet again, uh, I haven't used them for more um, for for even a season yet. But uh, they've been working out pretty well for me. I haven't had. Uh, I've got got 11 of them actually nine of them out right now and i've only had to replace batteries on on one of them so far this season so everything's been working out pretty well with them they got good yep. everybody seems to love them all right mine's, so. mine's going good tacticams are awesome i would if i had a if we had a cell phone list for cameras that would absolutely be my number one especially you can't beat the price <clears throat> yeah 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 so Have a good, good. I'm going to go, my tier one's going to be Wise Eye because it's a local company. They're made right here in Pride, Louisiana, and they're not the cheapest camera, and they're obviously not as widely distributed as some of the big brands, but they make an exceptional product. And uh, um, <clears throat> I have done some, I've messed around with them some. I haven't ran a lot of them personally, you know, on my own properties and stuff, but i I've, uh, I've 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 looked at them and I've played around with them a good bit, and they they make a really good product. So between just the overall quality and review of the camera, plus the fact that it's a Louisiana company, um, I think that uh, I've never read a negative review about them, and um, they they've got some proprietary software that that makes them uh, really kind of top of the list in the cell phone and the cell camera game but they also focus on picture quality that's kind of one of their sales points and if you look at some of what they produce just you know you don't really think about at least i don't so much like talking going back to the uh talking about the uh the tasco cameras so like the tasco cameras are flawless in terms of battery life and um, dependability and all that, but the truth of it is, that's not a great picture. I mean, they do a great job of just giving you the basic info that you need. You know, what time the deer are coming through, being dependable to actually actually take a picture when it's supposed to, and you can see well enough. But you know, I mean, when you get foggy or at nighttime, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's obviously a cheaper camera. It's not a a super uh, super great picture. Wise Eyes has um, probably the best lens and camera as far as that goes. And, you know, you get to, like, where I'm at right now where you got cameras scattered out in the woods on trails and you don't always have a deer right in center frame where you can really see it and you're trying to determine is this a mature buck on his feet during the rut, blah, 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 blah. I can easily see where that picture quality makes a big difference. So those are pretty impressive. and. People, you know, like I said, Louisiana company should check them out. Um, they're making a hell of a product. So, so that's your tier list for this year' podcast. Thanks to Colin. Yep, Jeff. We always we have we kind of have gone deep into this podcast without ever getting here. But whenever we have a guest, we always get get that uh, guest to kind of tell us about their setup. So, like your bow, what you're shooting, you know, how you got everything set up. What do you What are you doing with the, with all yeah, that? So, uh... I'm shooting a Bowtech, a SR6, and, um, you know, I have a 
spot hog. It's a three pin adjustable site, uh, the hog father, uh, quad rest. Um, I don't run a stabilizer or anything. Just uh, keep it pretty basic because uh, the way I hunt, I like to keep my bow pretty light. Um, uh, do a lot of a lot of run and gun or or hunt from the ground. Um, you know, still hunt type methods. So just yeah. keep it pretty basic. Uh, not too not 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 too much on it. What kind of broadhead you shooting? Uh so <laughs> I went down the whole rabbit hole on that one. Uh, I am I am now shooting a a Cayuga, a hundred seventy five grain double blade single bevel with uh, with bleeders on it. It's basically a a, a four blade uh, broadhead with 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 some small um, bleeders on it. But um, yeah, I mean, thing hits like a hits like a hammer. There's a, a a drastic difference that I've noticed between shooting expandable and and a fixed blade. And it's like whenever I shoot, you know, I'll I'll go rifle hunting every now and again. I'm not I'm not a uh, I'm I'm pretty strict about my bow hunting. I haven't picked up a rifle yet this season, but um, you know, I do like to go rifle hunting every now and again, and um. I'm not taking a 270, you know, I'm taking a 4570 and I'm knocking them down. And, uh, that's kind of how I feel with my setup and my bow. Um, I'm not shooting a super crazy heavy arrow. It's like right at 500 grains, but, um, you know, it's like that thing zips through them and they don't go far. They don't typically even run whenever it hits them or zips through them. Um, it's usually about a 60 or 70 yard recovery and they do run. That's about as far as they go. That's what everybody says uh, yeah. for, for that. They say, that. you know, that they don't like, they don't feel it or, or they don't really yeah. know what happened or that's kind of what they say. Um, do you like in your experience, like when you shoot an animal, like, is it bleeding a lot or is it not bleeding that much or, mm-hmm. or what? How do you so, feel? Yeah, that, that, that's the thing. It's like I, I went through that whole cycle because, you, you know, I've had some pretty serious mishaps and, and um, <clears throat> you know, so I, I, I wanted I went through the whole cycle. Like I want a great blood trail. Oh, well, this is this is this will give you a great blood trail, you know, expandable or whatever. And um, and then, yeah, it does on some shots and then on other shots, it doesn't. And then I don't even get a pass through. Now I'm really freaking out. And, you know, I, I don't, I'm not the best archer. I, I'm pretty good. I've been shooting since I was a little kid, but I make mistakes. And we all see deer ducking arrows and flinching and making all this movement. And um, I've, I've witnessed that, you know, I've shot a 150 inch deer on public land here in Louisiana, right in the fucking elbow with a with a schwacker you know what i mean it's like that thing looks like a fucking s you know what i mean <laughs> like if, if i had had this cayuga on there that'd be a dead deer that's a fact you know yeah. Yeah. and um, yeah so and i've gone back and forth over the years i've gone from the fixed blade back to you know the grim reaper and i really like those if i was gonna shoot an expandable it would certainly be a grim reaper um that's mr grim reaper up there but yeah 
Um, I've, I've, I've shot, I've shot the, you know, Valkyrie and the Cayugas and VPAs and when, you know, I've done, I've, I've shot all that shit. And, uh, I, I just really like these Cayugas. Yeah. Whenever I shoot them into my target, when you pull the arrow out of the target, you have to twist it out. You can't just pull it straight out. You have to follow yeah. the entry on the yeah. way out and try not to unscrew it when you do it. Yeah. <laughs> Hmm. Well, uh, you, you know what it's doing to that flesh as it's ripping through there. Yeah. So you yeah. mentioned you do a lot of hunting from the ground. Uh, I just kind of, as we as we wind down here, I, I want you to kind of talk a little bit about that. I mean, what your general like, take it from a very high level perspective, not necessarily drilling down on one specific thing, but you know, what is your general approach to, to trying to hunt from the ground with a bow and arrow? Because that's something that's becoming more popular. People are trying to push themselves and challenge, you know, that challenge. And so I'm curious, like, yeah. what's your approach to it? Yeah, so, I mean, let me let me kind of start out by saying just how I got into that. And it was really a really humble kind of, um, you know, leading into it because – you know, I just inherited a bow from my uncle. He passed away, and I decided I want to start bow hunting after killing a couple of nice rifle deer. And um, But, you know, I didn't have a lot of money or didn't really want to invest a lot into it at that point in time. So I just I just started walking around the woods looking for deer with, with my bow, and that's how it started. <clears throat> and, you know, early on, I, I had some pretty interesting encounters, like, I remember like one of the first times I ever went bow hunting on a public piece of land. Um, you know, I was up in Tunica and they, I asked some guys in the parking lot, where could I shoot a hog? And, you know, of course they're going to go send me to the farthest damn corner uh, from where <laughs> any deer are, <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, so just using, using my wits, I dropped down into the bottom. I noticed it was real sandy in the bottom and I could walk real quiet to that sandy bottom and I ended up running into a little bachelor group of deer, a nice eight-point, little six-point and a spike. And I had the opportunity at the eight-point and <clears throat> had a knock separate from my arrow whenever I drew my bow back. So it was <laughs> it was a blunder, you know. I'm, like, trying to catch the arrow with my foot and shit from hitting, hitting the ground. It was just dumb. But I, I realized at that point, it was like, oh, okay, this is actually possible because from what I knew, you know, or what people were telling me at the time, trying to influence me, that, that just it wasn't something that was possible. And, you know, I kind of took that as a challenge. But now, whenever I get into it, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a lot more calculated. Um, the hardest thing, you know, I go in, like I was saying earlier, I look for fresh sign. The, the best, freshest sign to me is a fresh pair of tracks. Um, and um, the most difficult thing is knowing when to check up or stop, you know. And so if you, yeah, if you know the area well, you kind of get an idea of where these deer might be moving through or to or one place to this next location and why they're doing it. Is it feed or is it the bedding? And um, <clears throat> so you just kind of key in on that and, now I don't get as aggressive as I used to. I used to kind of get in really tight, but I'd end up spooking a lot of the, a lot of the deer that I might've had opportunities at. 
And uh, I like to check up and I start doing calling sequences, you know, and get right on the, the edge of these bedding areas that I know that these deer are going into and just, you know, you got to catch the deer on the right day. You know, they're in there and uh, they hear you. They, they might not react to it or respond, but in those situations that they do, um, you know, that's winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yep. So you've That's had you've had a lot of success calling at deer on public land in the state of Louisiana. <clears throat> I have had some pretty incredible success um, on areas that are unpressured. Yep. So <laughs> I will uh, I'll kind of speak to it uh, area that I like to hunt. I don't really, you know. So a particular spot down here on the river. Um. It was shut down for like five years and um, no hunting allowed. It was kind of been flooded. I think there was like an 18 month flood period in there. And when they finally opened it up, we got in there early season and, and we were, we were, we were uh, rattling and grunting uh, bachelor groups of bucks in like multiple. And it kind of blew my, my mind because I had been hunting another um, piece of public land that was literally you know, 20 miles north of this location. And, and we had never witnessed anything like that before. And what it all boiled down to is the pressure. You know, how many people do you have in the woods that are actually educating those deer on, um, you know, on the calling sequences or whatever they're doing? You know, we did the same thing too, because there were certain situations where I, I have a bachelor group of bucks, a nice, you know, you got a 10 point, an eight point and like, I don't know, dumb little spike falling them around. And, um, you know, you accidentally grunt at the wrong time. They're 70 yards out and they look over at you. They, they pinpoint you on the ground sitting there in that uh, deadfall or whatever. And, you know, so I, I kind of had to learn those things too, you know, make sure that um, there's no line of sight. You're in a nice little thicket, but man, we've grunted them, rattled them in and, this buck that I killed in October, man, I snort wheezed at that thing. And that's what turned his ass on uh, a snort wheeze. You know, I, I, I was watching him. I watched him stand up out of his bed. I knew, I knew he was in there. I've been telling my wife was hunting with me and I was telling her all day and she kept wanting to go deeper. And I was like, deeper. I was like telling you this bug is in this bedding area over here. And so we, we got on the backside of the bedding area and we rattled and grunted and this was all before lunch and, and, and nothing happened. And when, went and took a break and then got back in there and decided, you know, I told her, I said, we're going to set up tight. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to climb up in a tree though. And we're going to get right on top of this bedding area. Cause I wanted to be able to see out into it. Climbed up in and, um, you, you know, threw out a couple grunts around, um, this was before the time change. So it must've been, uh, five o'clock, four forty-five. And I saw him stand up out of the bed in the thicket, and he was kind of browsing. He wasn't too worried about me, but then when I snort wheezed at him, it's like it turned on a switch. You know, he froze up, and I couldn't really see that he was looking at me, but all of a sudden he disappeared. And the next thing I know, I see a tree off to uh, the right of where he was at, and he's he's making a scrape, and he's hooking the tree, and shit shaking, and I don't know. He was, he was hopped up because there was a doe in there with him or nearby because 
there was some kind of commotion where he like must have like ran this dough off and she got all bent out of shape and started blowing at him. And then uh, he came in hot on me. He was pissed. <laughs> like he was mad. He was ready to fight. And uh, yeah, he got killed. It's kind of crazy because you just That's don't, awesome. you know, you don't, uh, it just goes to show you, I guess you started out this episode by like encouraging me to just do something different, you know, to try to figure this deer out. And you don't right. hear a lot of people having success with, with those kind of things in the South, you know, at least it not, especially not on public land, but I mean, it, it does goes to show you that pressure is everything. And I really believe yeah. that, that, you know, it's the number one factor, like, and all the things that, all the things that create pressure are, are all wrapped up in that statement. You know, when I say that, I'm not just talking about just simply you being there, but, you know, the wind, the noise, and, and the time of year, and everything that you do, like, I mean, pressure is, is everything. Um, to uh, it, it is the, the main factor that, that you have so, to. Uh, yeah, and the interesting about that is, like, Kyler told me one day, is like, because – I, you know, I, I went up there and I stayed at the camp with them and I went hunting in a new area I'd never hunted before. You know, he invited me up there. He's like, you know, just come see what this is all about. And, you know, me and Ashley are like running a deer everywhere. We, we pop on this road. We're looking into these fields with these tall grass right across from this, uh, you know, nice oak flats and select cut and and deer all over the damn place. And I've never seen that. I've never seen 20 deer in a hunt before in my life. Like, I don't know what I, I, I heard people talk about it. And I, I was like, man, I didn't know what they were doing. You know, the buck chased these other two young bucks off like the mature buck. And then he's kind of running around with these does, but it, you can't really tell if he's chasing them or just, you know, just deer doing deer things. And that's what he, I, I was talking to him about it and he was like, bro, it's just deer being deer. They're unpressured. They're, they, they, they're, they're just doing what they normally do. That's how, that's how they would normally act. And I, it didn't really occur to me, uh, you know, until he had said it. It's like, yeah, I guess in my perception, I think these deer are like the most paranoid animals that I've ever encountered in my life, but, yeah. but really they're not, we make them, we make them like that, and that's what he had said, and it's true. I think deer really so, are, by nature, extremely curious and even yeah. social to an extent. Animals, we, we they're very it, social animals, and it, it and we're very, you know, what we do as hunters and really not as predators in their world is uh, we we change all that dynamic, and I think that it's. You know, it's something that <clears throat> a lot of people just don't ever get to see, really. You know, they don't. They don't. They, on, on rare occasion, do they ever get to see? And I'm, and I'm, I'm talking about people that are only able to really hunt in, in the South on hunting clubs. So obviously, everybody, you know, you can take the opportunity to go purchase a hunt somewhere on, on property that, that's better managed. But I'm just talking about the general life cycle of a hunter that, you know, is is relegated to small property or hunting camp property, and our perception of what deer and deer behavior is is uh, it, it really is a it's a totally different thing from what's natural to the animal. Right, and you don't see that until you get to go hunt somewhere where the deer, like literally, 
they'll run away from you, but they're going to stop and try to figure out what you are before they do because they're just not – they don't associate you the same way they do with with other threats because you're not a threat to them on a day-to-day basis. And, um, yeah, so I, I – Yeah, it, it's true. And the very next day, though, that, that spot got blew up by a bunch of uh, crossbow hunters. So I was hella pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Damn crossbow crossbows. hunters wearing orange, bro. That shit lights me up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's Should not on last episode. Yeah, let's not get into that. <laughs> we did all that damage you don't last episode. Hear me talk. You don't even want to hear. I'm gonna hit the mute button now. <laughs> well, man, it's been a cool conversation. I'm glad you took the time to join us and just talk a little bit of deer hunting. And um, wish you the best of luck the rest of the season, man. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Same to you guys. Uh, you know, I just like to say, you know, in closing, um, you know, just take those opportunities, maybe step out your step outside your boundaries outside the box a little bit. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe you think you'll fail, but what you'll do is learn, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, never fail. Just learn. Yeah. It's good words yep. of advice. Well, Levi, Colin, y'all got anything for wrap this up? No, I'm good. I'm good. All right, guys, it's the best time of the year. If the damn weather would just get right, it'd be even better. But, you know, it is Louisiana, but uh, holidays are uh, upon us. Uh, check out LouisianaBowHunter.com. We got some uh, merch out there, great for stocking stuffers. New stuff going out in the stores and going online here any day now. So uh, we appreciate all your support, and we appreciate you listening to the podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.